Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Amen. Thank you all. Very uh, honored to be back in the house this morning. Amen. How many of you come ready to receive the word? Amen. Um, I was told as I was getting ready to come up here uh, just to make sure uh, I brought some clarity. Um, the prayer service will actually be at 8 p.m., not 8 a.m. Is that correct? 8 p.m. It's at 8 p.m. on Saturday. Okay. So uh, just so that you are aware of that. How about that? Amen. How many of you guys uh, are ready and uh, ready to exhale? Huh? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, I know we've walked through many seasons of church planning and church growth, um, and I can remember uh, we used to do church services in a school, and I couldn't, I couldn't tell you how excited I was the day we actually got into a building. Uh, we didn't have to pack everything into a trailer every Sunday. And um, it was just a continual uh, setting up, breaking down. And I think sometimes the Lord does that to us because he wants us to know what it was like uh, for the Israelites in the wilderness, how they would set up the tent and they would take it down. And uh, I guess that's what he wanted us to, to experience. And so, hey, it's all good. But uh, it's beautiful when the Lord gives us our own place, our own habitation, um, a place. And, and so I've just... This morning, I know when I walked in, I think I, the, the worship team was there, and I, I said to a couple of them, are you ready to exhale today? Because I know after this service, it's going to be uh, just, it'll be uh, bittersweet. It'll be a release uh, where you're excited, but it'll be, man, this is the end of a beautiful season. And, um, uh, the, but the, the beauty of that is that you're beginning a new season. Amen? Amen. And uh, so uh, this morning, uh, I'm, I am honored. I told uh, Pastor Casey uh, when I realized it, uh, he had asked me to speak a couple weeks ago, and I uh, told him when I realized it, I said, I guess I'm uh, going to be the one to get to turn the lights out today. So uh, it's an honor to be uh, be able to stand in the pulpit today uh, for this last service, and uh, my prayer is uh, that this not only uh, propels you further in your destiny, but also the destiny of this house. Amen? And uh, so we're, we're um, here today. I've got my, my family minus one uh, here. I've got one that's in Haiti. Um, and so if you guys follow us on social media, you've probably seen that we uh, have one that, that left the, the house, uh, I guess for, I don't know if it's for good, but at least long term right now. Um, uh, she's uh, a missionary in Haiti. And uh, so she's um, teaching kindergarten, first grade, very uh, proud of her. I went over there um, and, and helped her get settled in and get moved in. And when I came back home, I was saying, thank you, Lord, for America. Um, you know, we have a lot of blessings. Uh, I love the people in Haiti. It's a, um, the people are beautiful. Um, the, the situations and the, the despair that, that people live in, we don't often realize and um, so um, it was. It was definitely an eye opener uh, for me. And um, but but uh, again, we have one. So just keep us in prayer, Mama and Daddy, and the house, and the daughter, and everybody else. And uh, so um, we're here this morning. We're honored to be here. 
Now, I'm going to try and see if I can get on into the word here. Um, let's just open up in prayer, and then I'm going to uh, start releasing a word. So, Father, I just thank you for this day, Lord. It's a day of celebration. God, it's a day that this is the ending of something. Lord, it's the ending of a season. God, it's the ending of something very significant. God, it's the ending, uh, Lord, of, of, of a time of, of, of growth, of maturity, God. But, Lord, it's also a launching pad for for something greater, God. Lord, I thank you that you don't launch us into something, Lord, that would diminish who we are, but Lord, you launch us into something that is greater, Lord, than we currently are. So Lord, I thank you that in this season, Lord, you have prepared this house, you have prepared this leadership, Lord, for the season to come. Lord, as they walk past this day into the next day, Lord, as they walk past this season into the next season, God, there is nothing that they are ill-equipped for. God, you have you have accomplished the things that you've desired to accomplish in this season. And Lord, you have opened the door for the next season, God. So we celebrate that this morning. Lord, we love you and we praise you, God, that you won't just leave us where we are. And Lord, I just pray today, God, that this word, Lord, would not only pierce my heart, but pierce every heart in this room, God. I pray, Lord, that it be a word that God that would be declared over the house corporately, but Lord, it'd be a word that is declared over our hearts personally. Lord God, I thank you today, God, that you can speak to the hearts of man, Lord, individually as one speaks corporately. So Lord, I pray today, God, that you would begin to just speak, Lord, into our hearts. Holy Spirit, have your way. Open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds uh, to receive the word today. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me over to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9 this morning. Uh, I'm going to be speaking there, and then we're going to flip over to 2 Samuel chapter 4 for a moment. And uh, then I'm going to move through the scriptures. Um, uh, I'll, I'll have a couple there, some in the New Testament, but we're going we're to stay primarily in that area. Um, the, the thing that I want to speak to you about this morning is the word significance. And so uh, as I was preparing, um, you know, the, the word I kept hearing significant, significant, significant. And uh, I believe that it's not only a significant season for this house, but I believe it's a significant season for everyone in this house personally. And um, as I was preparing that, now you know you can take a word like that and the Bible just is riddled with uh, themes of significance. And so it's, it's not just having that word and speaking that word because, you know, that could be a very easy word to, to speak uh, to someone individually based upon the scripture. But then you start asking the Lord, okay, what is it that you want me to speak specifically? Because I can come from just about every scripture in the Bible and speak about significance. And so the Lord really brought me into uh, this gate uh, with David and Mephibosheth. Now, I don't know if, how many of you ever heard of Mephibosheth? All right, we got a couple in the room. Mephibosheth, that's a that's an odd name, isn't it? It's like um, <clears throat> the the giant, uh, the last giant that David slayed. I think I spoke about it last time. Ishbibanab. You know, it's like how do, how do you get a name like that, man? Your mom and dad must have really been laughing when you were born. They want to name you Ishbibanab. If anybody in the room's named Ishbibanab, I'm sorry. Um, but uh, Ishbibanab basically means the breathtaker, and uh, that that's. You know, it's the breathy one. It takes, it, it, he takes the breath. So watch this. David on the battlefield in his final day, when he got to Ishbibanab to slay him, what was wrong with him? He didn't have any breath left in his lungs. He was weak. He was wore out. 
And so, you know, your name has a destiny tied to it. And the fact that you're called Hope Unlimited, it's one thing to be called Hope. It's another thing to be called Unlimited. So Hope Unlimited, there is no limit to the hope that God has in the kingdom of God. Amen. In Colossians, just I'm, I'm getting warmed up, so just give me a second. Colossians chapter 1. The scripture uh, talks about how uh, that there are th- there are things that are reserved for you. There is a there is a uh, uh, there have this confident hope uh, that there are things reserved for you in heavenly places in the heavenly realm. And that that and I shared this with you last time. And I just keep coming back to that. Is that that word heavenly realm? That confident hope that everything is re- is is stored up for you. There is an understanding that there is a limitless reservoir that God has in the kingdom of God for you individually. So there is a limitless reservoir. So when you hear Hope Unlimited, that's not only a corporate name, that's a personal name. That means that you should be walking in what is called unlimited hope. That means that when situations look bad for you, then you should already know that God has this hope stored up inside of the heavenly realm for you. All you have to do is grab a hold of it. So if this morning, if you're lacking hope, then what God is saying to you is grab hope because there is a limitless reservoir of that. Amen. Where does, where does the hope come from? The hope comes from faith, okay? And, and here's, the, here's the thing about God. I, I put this on social media the other, th- the other day. God is not defined by what you know about him. You're defined about the faith that he has in the things that he placed inside of you. Hold on, let me just stop there for a second. Okay, so the faith, I'm I'm sorry, God, oftentimes we limit God based upon our understanding and our perception. I often say it this way, God is the vast ocean and your brain is a Coke can, okay? Or I'll give you a bottle if you're real smart, you know, 20 ounce, okay? Or I'll give you a one liter, two liter bottle. God, God is the vast ocean and if you, how many of you understand that if you walk up, to the ocean with a cup in your hand, I don't care, 16 ounce, 20 ounce, and you take a cup of water out of that ocean, and you take that, that cup of water, and then you look at that ocean, it doesn't look like you even touched it, right? So that's the way that God is. So oftentimes we think we have God figured out, but the fact is, is we don't really know him to his fullness at all. So God is not defined or limited by the revelation that you have of him. Are you hearing me this morning? There are some of us that we tend to limit God based upon what we've seen and what we understand. But the fact is, is God will not be limited by your mindset. God will not be limited by what you think he is or who you think he is. He will take you down the back road to get you to the fullness of everything it is that he intends for you to have. We oftentimes think that when we give our heart to God, he's going to take us down easy street. But how many of you understand if you've served him long enough, easy street isn't where he likes to take you. He likes to take you down the alleys. He likes to take you down the rough roads and up and down through the valleys. And he likes to take you over the rocky roads and the places with the potholes and all kinds of crazy stuff. And you're going, where in the world am I going? And then when you come out into the opening, you realize that God all the time knew exactly where he was going. Come on, I feel this. God knew exactly where he was going. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he knew what you needed to experience in order for you to see the fullness of who he is and who you are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so this morning, uh, the scripture that I have for you, let me read this scripture so I'll shut up uh, and actually uh, start preaching here. I guess I was preaching, but I'll start preaching. So in in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, it says this. One day David asked, um, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? That older, the translations there, let me stop. New King James, it was something that we said in, in, um, in, when we were doing the declarations. It, it, 
David in the in the older translation it says, "Is there anyone that I can show kindness for Jonathan's namesake?" And then when we were reading those those declarations, there's one that said we said for my sake, and the older translations say for my namesake. When you put that word namesake in the front of that, what that means is is that speaks beyond you and it speaks to generations. And so what, what David is saying is, is it's not just about Jonathan. Yes, I made a covenant with Jonathan, but he's saying there is a namesake that is tied to Jonathan that I want to honor. And so this morning, what God is saying to you is that there is a namesake that you have. Whatever your last name is, my last name's McBride, there is a namesake that I carry. Okay. And in that namesake, God says, I want to bring a, a, an honor to your name, to the namesake of who you are and your family and the inheritance and the generations that were before and the generations that come after. My, my family, if you trace my family lineage, the McBrides, if you trace McBride back, McBride, actually, we were servants of, um, of, of cardinals in the Catholic Church way back in Scotland and all these different, uh, you know, all around in that area, we were, we were actually servants of the word. We were servants of, of the word. So when, when I see the blessing in my life, I understand that it's not necessarily the promise of God that God gave me personally, but it is the promise that God gave even my ancestors way back. Come on, somebody. Some of you need to understand that there's some things you need to be pulling out of the, out of the, the past. You need to be declaring things over your life that God promised to your great, great, great grandma. Some of you aren't tapping into the things that God's given you that he's passing down uh, through your lineage. We'll pass, we, like, we like to talk about the, thing, the negative things that get passed down, but we don't, how many of the positive things do you talk about get passed down? I, I have a line of preachers in my house even though I was the first one. Come on, somebody. I'm the first one that I know that stands in a pulpit and preaches a message, but I can guarantee you God's anointed somebody long before me, and whether they answer the call or not, I don't know. But I know one thing, there's a call on my family line that we will minister the word, amen? And so there's no compromise to that. There is a mantle that's being passed down generation after generation after generation. And what David was saying here is that there is, a, there is a royalty to the line of Jonathan, and I want to know if there's anybody that is still alive that I can give some of this to, that I can give this royalty to, that I can give this honor to, that I can give this covenant to, because my covenant, even though it died with Jonathan, as far as with Jonathan, my covenant with his family still stands. I'm preaching, but y'all ain't felt it yet, all right? So here it says uh, he summons the man named Ziba, or Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king asked? Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? And if so, I want to show God's kindness to him. And Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. And then David asked, where is he? And he said, in Lodabar. Everybody say Lodabar. The word Lodabar means no pasture. Ziba told him at the home of Machir, son of Amiel. And so Machir means barter or sold. <clears throat> and so David sent for him and brought him from Machir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. <clears throat> and uh, in case you were wondering, Mephibosheth's name means from the mouth of shame. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. And when he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth replied, I'm your servant. Do not be afraid, David said. <clears throat> I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. 
I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. And Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? And then the king summoned, don't you, I love this because it just transitioned into verse number nine that David never answered Mephibosheth in his mindset of who he was. Then the king uh, summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. Hallelujah. How about it when people bring you things? But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So here's the fact. He just, he just, here's a crippled man that thought that he was worth nothing in a place called no pasture. And he felt like his soul had been sold because of what had happened to his family in the past. And here he is. He just walked up and he said, you're going to eat at the king's table. And you just got 36 servants and they're going to produce the crops for you. They're going to take care of your house. They're going to take care of your field. And all I want you to do is come and sit at my table and eat while they do all that. I think we just sang some songs about Great Defender this morning. I think the first song that we sang about was about just telling me to come sit at the table with you. And so here it says, Ziba replied, yes, my Lord, the king, I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named, watch this, Micah. And from then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Hallelujah. Mephibosheth's son's name was Micah, and that means gift from God. So we have a man, a young man. Now, let's, let's roll over here. Let's say, how in the world did he get crippled? Was he born crippled? In 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse number 4, it says this. This is, this, is once, um, this is once Saul and David died, and then Isbosheth, uh, <clears throat> which was another one of Saul's sons, was murdered. Um, <clears throat> and then you, verse 4, it says, Saul's son, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 4, 2 Samuel. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child, and he was five years old. That word five is key. They wouldn't give you a number if it wasn't key. Five years old when the report came from Jezreel. And uh, that word Jezreel means God sows. Okay, I know, I, y'all, y'all are probably like, why are you telling? I believe that every name and every number in the Bible is very significant. And I believe that if you just paste over or glaze over names and numbers, then you're missing so much in the word. And so uh, he report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. And when the child's nurse, so his caretaker, uh, <clears throat> the one that would oversee him, heard the news, She picked him up and fled, but as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. So here we have some, we have a king's son that is being carried by somebody when he could have at five years old. Have you ever seen a five? How many of you have ever had a five-year-old or have a five-year-old? Do they have a problem getting away from you? No. And if you point them in the right direction, boy, they'll run for miles. So here we have Jonathan's son who was, uh, they were fleeing for their life because they had known that the line of, of, of the king Saul had been killed and, and they were just coming down the line killing anybody that could become the king. And so the nurse hears this, picks up Mephibosheth 
and runs with him at five years old. And, and the idea is that she either dropped him or she fell. And it somehow broke his back or broke him to the point to where he could no longer use his legs. And so the, the, where do you, what do you get out of that? And I'll come back to this, but let me just drop this on you real quick. The number five means grace. Not only does it mean grace, but in Ephesians, it talks about ministerial grace. There's the fivefold ministry. So there are, fi- <clears throat> there are five gifts that are in the church, fivefold ministry gra- uh, grace. There is the grace for ministry. There are some of you that you've been in church for over five years. You're five years old. You've been in, or you are graced for ministry, but you've allowed people to hold you for so long. They've dropped you. They've hurt you. And now you're crippled and you don't know what you're supposed to be doing. That's a word for somebody in here. I don't know who you are. But you need to get up out of somebody's arms and start running on your own. And you start walking on your own. And there need to be some leaders that start letting go of some people and stop using them as their, as their crutch and, and running with them and let them run so that they can be the person that God's called them to be and created them to be. Amen? And so there's a word in that, but I don't have time to preach that right there. Um, but you are very significant. Amen? And so we see this, this uh, young man, Mephibosheth, and uh, we see that uh, he is the, uh, who would have been the rightful heir to the throne, Jonathan. Uh, <clears throat> we see uh, from man's eyes, we see that this young man uh, had, been, uh, had been crippled and had been living in a place. So basically, you got a, a man named Makir. You had to excuse me. I'm going to take a cough drop. But you have this uh, man named Makir that took him in, and they believed that he was a rich farmer uh, in the land called Lodabar. Now, the thing about Lodabar was, is Lodabar was a place that was known to not have any pasture land. It was a rocky land. It was a place where, in order to cultivate the soil, you had to be very gifted. You had to be very talented. And so... It was called no pasture. So <clears throat> here, here's Mephibosheth living with a man in a place that's called no pasture. And he, he felt like everything that he had or everything that he had been, uh, you know, uh, rightfully his was gone. And so he grew up in this mindset. He grew up in this place uh, where he had no pasture. He had no authority. He had none of the royal line that he had when he originally was growing up. And so he lived this way for years, but then one day God laid it upon the heart of the king to say, is there, is there one, is there one that might still be in the royal bloodline of Saul? And so we find that, that Mephibosheth was that one, but the crazy thing about Mephibosheth is not only was he the son of a dead man that should have been the king, but he is also crippled. And so he comes to David and they bring him to David, and David asks him, are you, are you Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth? Yes, I am. And he says he bows low, and then David begins to just put declarations over him and declare who he is. I declare that you have everything that your grandfather Saul had. I declare that the land that he had is yours. I declare that his servants are your servants. I declare that you'll eat at the king's table rightfully like you're supposed to. And so David then took on the spirit of adoption, like what we see in Ephesians chapter 1, where it says that God, God has adopted us in as his sons and daughters. And so we see that David operated as God in that moment, and he adopted in Mephibosheth. Now, the thing that I want you to know this morning is is that there are circumstances and situations over your life that maybe you think that you're not of the royal bloodline like everybody else does. Maybe you see people up here preaching or worshiping, or maybe you see the blessing fall upon other people, and you're thinking, but you know what? I'm a crippled man because my father was an alcoholic, or maybe I've been an alcoholic, or maybe I've come from broken families or broken relationships. Maybe I was born and raised in poverty. I don't know what your situation is, but maybe some way, somehow you think that you're disqualified from this. 
Because the enemy sure does have a great way of taking our circumstances and just beating them into our mind until we believe that we are the thing that we are living in. Remember I told you in the beginning, the, the, the beginning of this is that you do not define who God is. God's already defined. So guess what? Your circumstances don't define who you are. God's already defined who you are. You don't have to become significant. You're already significant. You discover significance. You don't create it. Significance comes from, from the kingdom of God. And the word says in Psalms 139 that God created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. David said, who am I? David said, when I stand, you see me stand. And when I sit, you see me sit. He said, if I go to the pits of hell, you're going to see me there and you're going to be there with me. He says, who am I that you would be all over me like that? Who am I that you would watch me that way? Who am I that you would knit me together in my mother's womb? Who am I that you would write in my book before the day that I was born, before anybody ever thought of me? Today I tell you that God sees you when you sit and God sees you when you stand and he's seen you in the pit of despair and he's been with you there. Watch this, and God has already wrote in your book. He's already purposed you. He's already destined you. All of these things are already yours. All you have to do is discover it. I watch people that live in, with the victim mentality all the time. Have I made mistakes? Yes. Have we made mistakes? Yes, unless you're so pious and holy and righteous that you don't think you've made a mistake. We all make mistakes. We've all made mistakes. But guess what? The love of God through Jesus Christ says that you are not disqualified. God says, I know what you did, but I know who you are. And more importantly, I know whose you are. Watch this. You, we are, man, there's so much I want to tell you and I ain't got enough time. Watch this. You don't just read the word. You not just are a word. You are the word. It says that in the beginning that the word was within God. The word was with God. And we, we read that scripture. Okay. Then it says the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Who's the word? Jesus. Jesus is the word. Watch this. When Jesus left, what did he do? He says, lo, I am with you always. The scripture says in Colossians chapter 3 that you are hidden in Christ. It says in Colossians chapter 3, it says that your life has died and you are now, your, your new life is now hidden in Christ Jesus. Guess what? Your new life is now hidden in the word. Why is it? I had a guy that told me, he said, man, I can't, he said, I can't hardly, he said, I can read any book, but I go read, read the Bible. He says, I fall asleep and I don't understand why. And he said, why do you think that is? I said, because this is who you are. This is who you are. And if the enemy can keep you from reading this thing right here, then you don't know who you are. And see, one, one of, the, one of the, the sad states of affairs in the church today is we're so biblically illiterate that we don't know whether a preacher is preaching the word or not. We just take it as word. You know, we used to say back in the day when I was growing up, we'd say word is born. Somebody say something, you know, and you just like word is born, baby. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm talking about, you know. And that, that, that's it. Word is born. Here, here's the thing. The fact is, is that your birth is in this word. Your life is in this word. Your death is in this word. Your eternity is in this word. And if you don't pick it up and read it, then you don't know your life. So you, watch. The Bible 
the Bible is a beautiful thing, and I don't want to diminish the Bible. I don't want to diminish it at all. But the Logos, which is the Word of God, the Logos was never intended to be just printed pages. The Logos is living and breathing and moving amongst you. Why? Because you're living and breathing and moving amongst man. You are the Logos. You are the Word of God. When you step into a place, it comes alive because you're there. When situations are dead, they awaken because you speak the Logos. You are significant. Watch. What the, what the enemy would do and what society does and what our culture does is tell you to keep your mouth shut. Because if you open your mouth, there's power that comes from it. The word talks about there is power that comes from your word. But see, what happens is, is we get so caught up. We're so caught up in this, in this, this crippledness that we have, okay? Because we, here's the thing that I love about the scripture. David's come, Mephibosheth comes, it says that he gets down at David's feet, bows low, and says, you know, I'm your servant, blah, blah, blah. Then he says, David says, you know, basically, you, you know, he, he lays the, the royalty on him, man. And then it says that Mephibosheth says, how, how, how would it be that you would, you would care for a dead dog like me? That's what the scripture says. He's, he's basically a no count, a no man, a, no, a nobody. How is it, you know, he's just messed up. Like, do you know who I am? My grandfather divided this, this country. He, 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 he lost everything. Mephibosheth lived with that every day. What are you living with every day? What are you thinking every day that disqualifies you? That you're saying, I'm disqualified for this. Watch this is what I love about David, man. He was a mighty, he was a mighty warrior, but he had a big heart. Number one, he never called Mephibosheth a dead dog. He never even acknowledged that he even said that. But number two, he never said anything about him being crippled. Never. He never said one thing about him being crippled. David never said, oh, my Lord, I didn't realize that you were crippled in both feet. Oh, my Lord, they told me you were crippled, but I didn't know it was this bad. No, he didn't say anything. He just said, from now on, these guys right here and his, ser his sons, they're going to be your servants. You're going to come eat at my table. And you're going to eat there every day. Every day you want to come. Look, every day, Mephibosheth, that you want to just come and sit at the table. You just come and sit at the table. Every day. Any day. If you want to come today, you can come. If you want to come tomorrow, you can come. See, this is the invitation that God gives us as his sons and daughters. He says, come and dine at the king's table. See? Here's the beautiful thing about sitting at the king's table. It's, it's, it's a beautiful picture. Mephibosheth... Can you imagine him the first time he ever got to sit at the king's table? Can you imagine the grandeur, the beauty, oh man, the variety and the food and all of those things? I would imagine he probably got there early. This is just me speaking hypothetically. I would imagine that Mephibosheth probably got there early because he probably wanted to get a seat before everybody else did. Because he, after all, he was crippled. And so I can imagine Mephibosheth getting there before the king, sitting down at the table. And I can imagine this grand table with this, all of this food and Mephibosheth sitting there and people came and sat with him. His, the sons of the king would come and sit with him. The daughters of the king would come and sit with him. The distinguished people of that country and anybody that got invited to the king's table, they would come and sit with him. And in that moment, Mephibosheth 
would look just like everybody else. No one would ever know that he was crippled unless he had to get up from the table. And so God has given us an invitation today because of the significance of who you are to just come and sit at his table. And when you sit there, nobody knows. This morning we sit in these seats and we're in this house. Unless somebody knows you intimately, nobody knows the issues that you have going on in your life right now. And I can guarantee you that right now, it doesn't matter what you've done or what you're going through in your life right now. The person next to you is not worried about what you're going through as far as, oh my God, I don't want to sit next to them because they got this issue. Why? Because we're all crippled in some way. None of us have a right to the table. I, had, I, I went to get a haircut as soon as I came into town yesterday because you don't get I mean, you know, you, I got one got me a haircut today. All right, let's just put it like that, or yesterday. And I sat down and they start, you know, when you're in the barbershop, the barbershop, they start asking all these questions. And so they asked, asked me, what are you doing here? Of course, I knew. Well, I'm, you know, right, here we go. So I said, well, you know, I've come into town, um, asked to preach, you know, um, in this house and, you know, go, and, and so I start you know, going through and, oh, what denomination? And I just kind of went through and started explaining my background and all this stuff. And then the, the girl cutting my hair goes, yep. She goes, uh, my, my parents were evangelists in the church of God. And I said, they were. I was like, wow, that's awesome. She goes, I believe in God. I believe in his word. I believe everything that he says. I believe and I support it and all this. She says, but I don't go to church. She said, I don't go to church because she said, man has ruined church and it's just tainted and then blah, blah, blah. And then she went on to tell me how some churches you go to in Knoxville, you got to get a credit check and you got to be invited to some of them. And then she's going through all this stuff and I'm going, Lord, I've got a high mountain to climb. Hallelujah. And thank you, Jesus, you know. And, and, I, and, and I had, you know, I told her about you guys. So don't think I didn't say, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to tell them about it. I told them, I said, you need to come check this church out. Um. But I told her, I said, this is a saying that Mike, how many of you have ever heard of Mike Iaconelli? He's an old school guy, Mike, Mike Iaconelli. I got one or two in here that heard of Mike Iaconelli. <clears throat> Mike Iaconelli, made, he, he wrote a book, and, and in his book he made this statement. He said this. He said, we get invited to a party that we should never get the opportunity to go to. But he said, what we oftentimes do is stand at the door and judge everybody that walks in and talk about how they shouldn't be there. My friends, that's not eating at the table. And so when, what we have to understand is, is that God in his divine glory has made every one of you, you and I, significant in his own special way. There are things that you can, I can guarantee you didn't want me up here leading worship this morning. Some of y'all are like, well, we wish you weren't preaching. No, I'm just kidding. But I can guarantee you, you might be questioning my preaching, but you definitely would question my worship, all right, leading worship. But God's gifted every one of us. I'm telling you, when I walk to that door right there and that lady over there in that corner hugs my neck, I feel like, man, I am on cloud nine. She, she's like, hey, we're glad you're here. Oh, my God, I'm excited to see you. You know, and I'm like, yes, man, you know, I am too. I'm excited to see myself. What do I look like, you know? But I get all, I, some people, people have that gift, okay? And your gift might not be those gifts, but your gift might be something else. But the fact is, is that you're very significant in the kingdom of God. Don't belittle who you are based upon your circumstances and situations and think that you can't get to where you need to get to. That you can't be who God has called and created you to be. I, I work in different fields and I do different things. 
And, um, hey, can you put that time up there? Is that what I got left? Oh, praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Uh, I work in different fields, but one of the fields, one of the things that I do at certain times, I, I get around a lot of people that are, that are millionaires. I get around people that are literally like millionaires, like a room full of millionaires. Have you ever been in a room full of millionaires? It's kind of crazy, man. I mean, I'm like sitting around trying to act like a millionaire. <laughs> what do millionaires look like? You know, what do they act like? I'm looking around the room. Mm-hmm, you know? And, and, and it gets, you know, it gets kind of crazy, man. And then they start talking. They're talking about things that you're just like, well, yeah, I know, right? You know? It makes me uncomfortable. But I love it. Because God says that I will prosper as my soul prospers. And so I have to put myself around people that are where I aspire to go. I, want, I heard this this past week. You've got to put somebody. There's got to be somebody that, that is a symbol to you that is a light at the end of your tunnel. You've got to be able to see somebody that you aspire to be like. Okay? You don't have to be them. But you say, man, I sure would love to have that kind of discipline, to have that kind of this, that, or whatever it is. I would love that. And so what, what I'm telling you is is that the sky is the limit, Hope Unlimited. The sky is the limit, okay? Corporately, this house will stop when you stop. I've seen it. I've been in it. I've been in it. I've been in churches that thought they couldn't grow. I've been in churches that, that I, I have literally pastored churches that they would, uh, they, they, they would be dying and we would come in and we would breathe a little life into them and revitalize them. And the next thing you know, they're up two, three, four hundred, whatever, uh, you know, just growing, growing, growing. And then they're just like, wow, I, you know, wow, man, we're exploding. And I'm thinking to myself, man, we ain't even got there yet. I mean, this, this thing can grow, but it's all according to your mind and what you're going to do. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do with this new building? I keep telling Pastor Casey, I'm like, bro, you are already being three services, man. Y'all ain't even started yet, and I'm already telling bro, y'all, it's just like, no, nah, like, nah, nah, not yet, not yet. Like, bro, you're going to be in three services, man. Quick, brother, quick, it's coming, quick, three services. And, and uh, you know, I know that's a daunting task, but I want you to already put your mind there, okay? Because when you get there, you ought to be looking for, okay, are we going to four services? Or are we going to another building? Huh? One of the guys that I follow very, very heavily, and I know a brother over here is from his church, Ron Carpenter Jr. One of the stories that he said one time, and it just rocked my world in a leadership meeting, he, he made a statement to us about how he failed a church in Knoxville, Tennessee. And he said, I remember one night standing outside of a trailer that he was living in. Him and his wife were living in a trailer. They're having, going through hard times, through hardship. And he said, I stood outside of that trailer, and I pointed at it. And I said, you cannot hold me. What are you in right now that you're letting it hold you? Don't let it hold you. The king has given you an invitation to the table. Amen. If you want to come on up and start playing for me, I'm on. I've got so many. I could go 100 more miles, but I'm just going to hold off. I want to get invited back. Today, the last thing that I'm going, I'm going to share with you is this, and then as these guys get ready to sing, and we'll get ready to do an altar call, I want you to, I want you to understand this one thing, okay? 
want you to understand this one thing, and I'm going to read it just so that you know exactly what I'm saying. And you say he didn't make that up. In Ephesians chapter 2, um, the scripture talks about how we are God's will. I thought I was going to word it, work, uh, read it, but i got to find it first because I wrote the wrong scripture down. Oh, chapter 2. It helped if I was in the right chapter. Ephesians chapter 2, it says this. <clears throat> number 1, it says God, in verse number 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed and when you came. When you, so, and you cannot take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things. So if you're in here today and you feel like I can't do good enough, you're right, you can't. It says this. It says in verse number 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Have you ever watched somebody paint? You ever watch, I used to watch Bob Ross, Happy Trees. I admit it. I thought he was dropping acid then. I still think he was doing something. I don't know. Y'all are like, oh, my Lord. That brother was bad, though, man. He'd be like, oh, mess that up. That's okay. We'll fix it later. You know? Happy little trees. But when, when he would start out a painting, it never looked the way that it, it did when he was finished with it. There are some of you that have dreamed, and your life isn't going the way that you thought it would. <laughs> but I'm telling you that God's still stroking on your canvas. And he has created a masterpiece that you can't see right now. There is a masterpiece. It says that you are his masterpiece. What that means is this, is that the enemy and decisions and all kinds of stuff that happen in your life throughout your life, they're going to create strokes and pictures and colors and paintings that you never intended for it to create. And you're going to think that it doesn't look right and it doesn't look good. But watch this. At the end of your day, God will stand and he will show you the picture that he painted of your life. When you stand in eternity, in eternity before God, he will stand and show you the picture that he painted with your life. And I'm going to tell you, it's not going to be one of those pictures with stick figures. It's going to be one of those beautiful, grand pictures with mountains and trees and depth and all kinds of colors that portray the beauty of God. You are his masterpiece. You are his workmanship this morning. You are the apple of his eye. You are significant to him. You do matter and you do make a difference in life every day, every day. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.